Thank you, Pastor Sam. Thank you, Pastor Carolina, for having us. Take your seats, guys. It's great to be out with you. It's my honour to share the Word of God on your stage this morning. Such a privilege. Um, I've just been at schoolies week, actually, and um, funny story involving all of you guys there. On Friday, we were there, and we're arranging schoolies week. There's, you know, 18, 19,000 people already checked in with thousands more coming. Um, over the next few days and on Friday we're there and uh, we're going through all our supplies we're like man we're not going to have enough pancake shakers here and um, at that moment about five minutes later I get a call from City Point Reception saying hey Redcliffe have just dropped over a thousand pancake shakers can you use them? Heck yes we can use them so thank you so much uh, for your kind donations for being involved in that as well Uh, you're directly impacting people's lives down there for schoolers who come down uh, with no food whatsoever you know, alcohol is their first thought and then food's the second thought and sometimes they don't have the uh, mental capacity for both so one gets left behind. But um, uh, I'm so pumped to continue our, our theme At across City Point locations. We're talking about the land of the dreamer. Um, and today I want to hit um, how we transition our dreams and our aspirations that God has put on each one of our hearts, how we transition those from being dreams and aspirations into reality. Um, So often we see some people uh, that make the gap from where they are uh, to where they can be in God, but so often um, we see people who don't make that transition. And we've actually been described as humanity, this is an insult to us all, as having right now the most learning disabilities we've ever had as humanity as a whole. Um, And even though we have the most information at our fingertips, um, in terms of personal progression, we've been described as humanity as a whole as not being able to learn well. We're not, we're not very good at applying things. We have all the information, but we're not great at applying them. And um, yeah. I know today, I'm not talking about dreams as in when you're asleep. I'm not talking about those kinds of dreams. What I'm talking about today, what I'm going after today, is the call of God on your life, uh, your purpose, your potential, what you could be. And uh, maybe you're here today and you've just been going around in this uh, routine, nine to five, my life's always the same. How do I, I feel like I'm stuck in a bit of a rut. Or maybe... Um, uh, like I was for so many years, you just struggle in one aspect of your life. You keep falling short and you don't know how to break that cycle. Maybe you just know that uh, there is something more for you, but you don't know how to make the jump from where you are now to where you could be. Um, and I believe in the Word of God. It shows us how to do this really well. Whenever I look at transitioning uh, from where we are to where we could be, first of all, your, your call God on your life isn't a destination. So some people will think like, oh, you know, I'm here now and then I'll make it tomorrow. Uh, but the call of God, the purpose of God for your life is less like a one-way trip and I'm there. It's more like transitioning well from season to season in a positive direction. And if we do that well, we move our life closer toward intimacy with Christ, but also closer towards the full potential in our lives. Um, and sometimes if we don't transition well, then we don't reach it. And whenever I look at transitioning from seasons, I like to look at the story of Moses. Um, so a lot of the time we like to look at Moses, and he's, he was a great leader, right? He was entrusted with the task um, of helping God's people out of captivity from Egypt and into the promised land. So God called them out of captivity one season and into the promised land full of potential. And we, Moses did a great job. He led them 40 years. But in the end, he didn't reach the promised land. He didn't get there. That was, he, he almost made it. You know, he was this side of the Jordan River, promised lands over this side, but he didn't make it. And um, he gets to that stage, this side of the Jordan River, and he sends 12 spies over into um, promised land. All right, let's suss it out. Let's see what we got here. Can we take it? Um, two spies come back and say, yes, we can do it. God is with us. Let's take this thing. Um, Ten spies come back. Man, there's giants in this place. They'll smash us. And because of pride um, in his life, 
And because he listened to those 10 spies, he never crossed over. He never made it. And um, in transition, in seasons, we have to be really careful because the voice that you believe determines the future that you experience. He never makes it. Moses dies. Uh, sad for all involved. But then Joshua rises up, the successor, and Joshua sees um, that Moses never made it to his full potential. And Joshua is uh, positive and certain. He's like, I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for my people. And he says to his people, you know, we can't stay here. We can't stay here today. And I want to tell you someone next to you, tell someone next to you, you can't stay here today. Don't move seats, but you can't stay here today. <laughs> and um, Joshua sends his own spies over into the promised land. And the spies come back, just two spies, and say, yep, we can do this. God's with us. Let's cross over. And so they cross over the, the Jordan River and take the promised land, which was promised to them 47 years ago. And um, my question is to us today, are we going to cross over? See, Joshua reached his potential, his promise. Moses didn't. Um, I look at people in our past, like look at Martin Luther King Jr. He said the very famous statement, we all know, I have a dream that my four little children would not grow up in a nation where they're, uh, they're defined by the colour of their skin, but rather the content of their character. And he went on to be, become so key uh, in the abolishing of slavery and of racism all around the world. If he hadn't had reached his dream, what kind of world would we still be living in? And people in this room have uh, such influential calls on your life, such influential dreams to impact the world in the same way. But if we don't know how to transition well from season to season, then so much potential and the kingdom of God won't be advanced. The presence of God won't be advanced. So we really need to know how to transition well. Um, I want to know how Martin Luther King did it well. And I want to know how Joshua did it well. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to create something in us. And I've called my message this morning, Five Dispositions of a Luke 5 Disciple. Our dispositions are, are character traits, their biases, their inclinations. Some of them have a caring disposition, a kind disposition, a funny disposition, whatever it may be. Um, I want to look at five dispositions that I think are laid out really well in Luke 5, that if we are inclined towards them, uh, they create habits in the heart and give wheels to our dreams. So let me read Luke 5, 1 to 11. And this message today, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of different messages. You can have real inspirational ones and I could shout at you and stuff. This message is an equipping message. Uh, I was, I've taken a lot of work points myself from when I wrote this, so don't feel bad if you get work points from this. So let me read the scripture in Luke 5, 1 to 11, uh, and then we'll go through the, the five dispositions. So in this one, uh, Jesus gets his first disciple, Simon Peter. Very exciting for Jesus. He starts his ministry. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gen Gennesaret, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I always get that imagery of in Finding Nemo where they all swim down. I think that's what's happening here. Um, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, they, so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. It's a bit of scripture there, but we're going to unpack it really well. And whenever I look at a business or you talk to someone who runs their own business, um, every business, every organization has KPIs. They have measurables. I think it'd be weird if I went up to a CEO and said, hey, how's your business doing? They're like, ah, you know, pretty good, I think. Oh, well, you know, are you profitable? Are you, uh, how are you looking moving through your fiscal year? And they're like, oh, look, I don't really know, but it's feeling pretty good, you know. And so often we can do the same with our faith. You know, how are you going in your faith? Oh, it's feeling good today. But what are the measurables? What are the KPIs? How do you know if you are moving forward in your relationship with God? And I think these five dispositions are going to be a bit of a self-audit for you and I today. And um, don't feel bad if you have like five out of five work areas. Um, when, I, when the Holy Spirit showed me this message, I've got a, a bunch of work areas. Um, but I'm pumped about that because that means I'm still growing I'm still progressing, that um, don't get used to me up here, I'm changing, I'm still going, which I think is perfect. Um, I'm not perfect, but that's perfect because I believe the call of God has so much more to do with who he is than who we are. Um, So here we go, five dispositions. Uh, If you're you're a note taker, take notes. If you're not a note taker, you're a note taker today, Um, (laughs) unless you've got an amazing memory. Um, Here we go, the first one, number one, is a disposition of action. Are you inclined towards action? Um, The the verse says there that uh, Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. See, Peter's just come in from working all night. He's he's flat. He's wrecked. He's just been on your 12-hour night shift, whatever it may be. He's caught nothing. He's deflated. He's probably even thinking to himself, man, am I even good at my job? Am I good at my profession? Like, and then he probably goes one step further. He's like, man, I'm going to have to walk through my front door and uh, my wife's going to be there. She's going to look at me expectantly and be, sorry, honey, like, I didn't catch a thing. We got no paycheck this week. And all these thoughts are going through his head. Hasn't had a good time. And then this random guy, Jesus, just walks up, sits in his boat and says, hey, look at all these people on the shore that need ministering to. Can you row me out so I can minister to them? And Peter's there looking at him, is this guy blind? Like, I'm the one with need in my life. I'm the one that needs ministering to. And um, so often when you first read this, like, oh, Jesus is a little bit insensitive, just ignoring the needs of Peter there, right? But I think he's showing us um, this very incredible principle for those who have the disposition of action, which is this, that your response to other people's needs when you are in need determines the direction of your life. So um, it's easy to give you know, when you have plenty of it. But when someone asks, and often we get asked things like, man, I'm wrecked, like I've had a big day, whatever it may be. And someone that, you know, you may or may not get along with asks something of you and your inner dialogue will be like, yeah, are you serious? You don't know what I've been through. But um, I believe as Christians, we need to um, change our perspectives that other people's problems are burdens and rather opportunities for us to propel us into our future with God. God uses others' needs as stepping tones to your development. And he doesn't neglect your needs. In a few verses, we see Peter's needs met in abundance. But if we don't change our perspective from being, all right, my needs first before others, then we'll never develop and never transition well. And if uh, Peter in this moment said, oh, my arms are too sore to row this boat out again, then Peter would never have gone from fisherman to the rock of the church that we now built on this day. He never would have made that transition. And um, I find the best story in the Bible is... Uh, the Good Samaritan. Who knows the Good Samaritan? I think even if you're not in Christian circles, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. It goes like this. There's this dude who gets jumped on the road, uh, gets beaten, uh, left for dead in the gutter, and three people encounter him. Uh, two 
walk him, see him, like, oh, he's in a bad way, I'm going over this side of the road. And uh, one, the good Samaritan, stops and helps him, invests into him, his time, his treasure, makes sure he's healed and uh, back to good health. Um, but what's interesting about this is the people that walk on the other side of the road are priests. You know, they're God's people. That's, it's you and I. It's who we called. And the priests go up to the temple. They get clean. They get washed. Uh, they make sure they're all good. Look, I'm shiny before you, God. And then they go home for the day. And uh, the priest sees this guy bruised and battered in the gutter. And in his head, he's like, look, I could help this guy, but then I'm going to be unclean. So I'd rather stay clean before God. I'm going to walk past on this side of the road. But God doesn't glorify the priest in this circumstance. He glorifies the good Samaritan, the one who gets down in the mess, the one who meets the person at their point of need. And there's another um, important principle that Peter passed, he ticked the box on this one, is that so often as Christians, we can spiritualize our inactivity. We can pray it away, right? Oh, I can meet that person at their point of need. Oh, I'll, I'll pray for you, you know. Oh, there's someone, you know, uh, without food on the street, oh, I could get them a subway, but I'm late, so I'll pray for them, you know, whatever it may be. And we need to start getting really good as Christians as not spiritualizing our inactivity, but physically being active in our spirituality. Yeah. We need to be good at that. And um, I believe so many times we, we think we've been patient when we're really procrastinating or... Um, Pastor Carolina, Pastor Sam can ask us to do something, but I'm already busy six days out of my week. You know, I don't need to give in that area as well. But I believe to get to our next step, God is calling us out of our comfort zone, out of where we are, and into the boat of action, just like He called Peter. So, do you have a disposition of action, or is that a work area for your life this morning? Uh, number two, disposition of obedience. Obedience is a fun word, isn't it? When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. See, obedience leads to breakthrough. Obedience precedes blessing. See, if Peter, Peter had said, all right, God, meet my needs, then I'll obey. You know, that's where he would have ended as a disciple of Jesus. But no, he said, okay, I'll obey then comes the breakthrough. See, so often in our life we say, God, if you answer X, Y, Z prayers, you know, if you uh, provide this breakthrough, then I'll obey. Then I'll obey the commands. Or God, if you prove yourself trustworthy, then I'll trust. But really that's just putting us on the throne of our own lives, right? That's putting us in the judgment seat. And God, if you can bring enough evidence to my life, then I'll obey you. But that's not really obedience. That's just us kind of doing what we want. There's nothing there. So um, imagine if Peter had said, all right, Jesus says, let down your nets. Peter's like, mm, show me your top 10, you know, best catches. You know, show me that you've caught fish here before. And if that lines up with it, then I'll let down my nets. You know, does that apply to our lives? Sometimes you're like, look, God, you know, show me that you actually will come through and then I'll obey. But the principle of God never says that. The principle of God says obedience, then blessing. And um, every parent knows this, that uh, everyone parent with a, with a child or maybe you just remember your childhood and... Um, when the child's too young to know that you can't touch a hot stove or you can't have another handful of lollies and they ask, and they ask the parent, the parent says, no. And the kid says, why not? And the most famous parenting statement ever to come out that says, because I said so. And um, the child, begrudgingly or not, or forcefully or not, is made to obey. Um, but that same thing, and it, it kind of works in that circumstance when the parent has authority over the child. But in another circumstance, say me and my wife, uh, no authoritarian differences. We're at home eating There's lollies on the table. And I reach for another lolly. And she says, no, don't have that. And I said, why not? And she's like, oh, because I said so. 
Be like, woman, I got a sweet tooth. I'm hungry. I'm taking that lolly. There's no difference there. And sometimes we decrease God from being the ultimate authority in our lives to being just an authority in our lives. And then we wonder why we won't obey what he says because we don't think it's the best course of action. See, God says things in the Bible that we might not like, like don't sleep around, don't get involved in crude jokes, don't, um, you know, drink too much, whatever it may be. But our desire is always going to overcome our will to obey if we don't think that his way is it better than our ways? And we can sing it all the time. We sing, God, your way is higher than my way. You know, uh, your understanding is another level or whatever it is. Great words to sing, hard to put into practice. And um, I got asked the other day, is obedience logical? Do I have to surrender my logic? Do I have to surrender my reason to obey God? The answer is absolutely not. Faith and reason is tied so closely together. Um, it's another message, but they're actually so entwined. So when someone says, do I have to abandon logic you know, to, to have faith, to obey God? The answer is absolutely not. Even in sometimes we see in stories like Abraham, get out of your country, leave your family. Where am I going, God? Not telling. That doesn't really seem logical, right? But it actually is because... Um, Peter, uh, Jesus asked Peter, hey, let down your nets. And uh, Peter says with a childlike faith, because you say so, I will. And a childlike faith doesn't abandon logic. Rather, it comes logically to the conclusion that maybe, just maybe the God of the universe, the God that knows your past, present and future, the God that put your dreams in your life, the God who knows how to get you to those dreams, the God that knows where you flourish, that knows where you're weak, that knows where you're strong, maybe, just maybe, he has a greater insight and understanding for your life rather than you do, rather than I do. I mean, I spent five minutes last week trying to decide if I want extra bacon or avocado on my subway and I'm expecting my ways to be higher than God's ways. For a while there, I wrote B-Y-S-S-I-W, because you say so, I will. I wrote it on my shoe, uh, on, my, on the bottom of my shoe, because I found out I was really good at rationalizing why I shouldn't do the things that I felt prompted to do. And by rationalizing, I mean I would tell myself these little rational lies and why I didn't need to go and do what God told me to do. But then I remembered why it was on my shoe, and I let my, my feet take me where my obedience to God led me, rather than what my understanding of the situation was. Do you have a disposition of obedience today or is that an area where you're maybe listening to the flesh rather than walking with the Spirit of God? I find the people who are obedient are the ones that also flourish in their life. Not because, um, you know, God's just like, oh, my blessing's only on that person and not on that person because they're doing what I want and they're not. God's not like that at all. But I find that obedience uh, leads to breakthrough, not only in the church, like Pastor Sam was praying about, not only miracles, but obedience leads to breakthrough in the restoration of family relationships. Obedience leads to breakthrough in the financial where you make wiser decisions that set your family up for a financial freedom in the future. You know, obedience leads to you being the bridge between that person at work and the kingdom of God because you're obeying what God asks you to do in that timely manner. Do you have a disposition towards obedience? Number three, one and two, action, obedience. Anyone got two out of two so far? No, don't put your hands up. Um, (laughs) Number three, a disposition towards thankfulness. This is my favorite point in the whole thing. Um, I'm a bit uh, biased towards it. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter said this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. This is quite a unique reaction. So um, 
something awesome happens to, to Peter, somewhat by his own hands. He's directly involved in the catching of the fish. And um, so many people have made it a great habit to give thanks to God in a lot of circumstances. I never want to say don't do that. But we see like sportsmen and people score a try and they give thanks to God. But here, here something else happens. Peter is driven to his knees when goodness enters his life. And um, he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Like what, what happened to Peter there? Like, Great stuff happens to me all the time, I think, better than catching a few fish. But I'm not driven to my knees like Peter was. I want to know why Peter was driven to his knees. And um, the, the verse came to me in the form of my wife. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. I don't know if we have this on the screen. Yeah, here it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know when people ask, man, I really wish I know the will of God for my life. You know, the search is over. I found it. It's right here. <laughs> um, but this is really hard. I want this life, right? I want rejoicing always. I want to be joyful always. I want to be, you know, you get to that mental image of someone that just, you know, prances around. I'm happy. I'm rejoicing. I'm giving thanks for everything in my life. But I've had bad stuff happen in my life. I've had my family members die. I've had disappointments. I've had stuff that brings me down. How can I be expected to rejoice all the time? How can I be expected to give thanks for everything when I've had stuff taken away from me? Like, how is this even possible? Even if we live great lives, is it possible to rejoice all the time? So I asked the Holy Spirit, how is this possible? Is this life a real life? Or is this just something, you know, we're supposed to be aiming for? And um, the Holy Spirit told me two things, and this is what I love about this, that this is possible, this life is possible to rejoice always, to give thanks in everything, but only if you believe two things. The first one is this, that, you, that what you do have is greater than everything that you don't have. Yeah. That what you do have is greater than all the things in the world that you don't have. It's the first thing you must believe. And secondly, that you don't deserve what you do have. Yeah. Wow. So if you think uh, everything out in the world is greater than what you do have, how can you rejoice? Like if I think there's a, a better job, if I think someone else has a better marriage, if I think there's more money, if I think there's all this other stuff, then how can I be constantly thankful for what I have? I'll constantly be like, you know, this is great what I have, but you know, there's something, you know, a little bit more out there. Or, you know, if I think I deserve what I have, you know, if it's, uh, if what I get this from is maybe what I value is, you know, uh, my job, or I can, you know, maybe I could earn my way to a bit, a bit more money or whatever it may be. And I can think that I deserve what I have. And um, we can so often be like, all right, well, you know, I've got a good car. I can get a better car. There's all this stuff. Like, there's no way you're going to have the, the best life in terms of those things. And the only thing, the only thing that can find this, that is possible to do this, is our salvation and our relationship with God. See, I want this life of joy constantly. And um, I'll tell you why that this is the only thing. Because if you want to rejoice always, if you want to give thanks always, which is a great life, can you imagine uh, nothing in this world being able to take away your joy? Nothing in this world being able to shake your thanks. Um, and it comes from being in a relationship with God because it comes from this, and I, it happens when you look at the gospel of Christ. And we, it's, a, it's a great word, the gospel, you know, the cross or whatever, but it's not just the powers in that, which it is, but it's how you see it. It's how you look at it. See, when I look at the gospel of Christ, when I look at what Jesus did on the cross, I realize that I can't earn my way to salvation. You know, I tried for ages. I did all these great works. Keep going, keep going. And realize when you look at the cross that the Son of God, like the pure, you know, um, didn't sin once, that he had to be sent to earth to die for me. 
You know, I realise that that is a treasure more valuable than anything else that I could have. You know, nothing can shake that. I've got a reason to give thanks. I've got a reason to rejoice because Jesus Christ did something for me that, um, one, you know, it's greater than everything else in the world. You know, you can't take this from I'm going to eternity in paradise. And nothing you can do can take that from me now. You know, I've got something that I've got is greater than everything else in the world. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It's amazing. But when I look at uh, what he did on the cross, when I look at the gospel of salvation and realize that, you know, someone like that, someone like Jesus, perfect, without blemish, had to die for someone like me, then I realize that like, I don't deserve it in the slightest. Like, if I look into my heart and I look into, like, my thoughts or whatever, I realize that, you know, someone like that, perfect, you know, I don't deserve someone like that giving his life for mine. It doesn't make sense. So those are the two things. If you want to rejoice and give thanks, if you want to have this disposition of thanks, um, like, and like Peter being driven to your knees, see, I deserved to have said to me by Jesus what Peter said to Jesus, you know, get away from me, you sinful. But rather Jesus was put away so that I could be drawn close and now that I have that re uh, reason to rejoice, that reason to give thanks, then I'm constantly driven to my knees before God, um, saying thanks God for everything. Like, I, I have a great wife, I have a great job, I have a great house. Um, we put a sunroom on it, it's really nice. Um, but I have all these great things in my life, but they don't drive me to my knees. There's only one thing that will drive you to your knees. There's only one thing that will cause you to be joyful constantly. There's only one thing that will cause you to give thanks no matter when your world is in anguish, no matter when your world is falling apart. There's only one thing, and that's your relationship with Christ. That's your salvation. That's your eternity in paradise. Are you trying to drum up thanks? Are you trying to muster up thanks? Or is it, does it come from a posture of you on your knees before God saying, thank you for saving my life. Right. Number four, one, two, three, action, obedience, thankfulness. Number four, a disposition of a grander vision. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I'm going to use my creative license just a little bit here. Um, imagine that what you love in this world, what you're putting your time into, in a moment... You just get wildly successful in it. It's a sporting person that it's the top of his game. It's the music artist that drops a top 40 banger. Overnight, they become wildly successful. Peter, you know, he's following his father's footsteps. This is a, a family legacy. For him, it's catching a huge catch. And um, he brings all this fish in, and it's great. Um, and then in the middle of him, you know, high-fiving James and doing the big chest bump with uh, John there. Jesus looks at him and says, was that fun, Peter? Was that good? You enjoy that? And Peter's like, yes, that was the best time of my life. And then Jesus looks at him square in the eye and he says, that's nothing compared to the rush you're going to get from fishing for people. That's nothing compared to the rush you get from a grander vision from being in the people business. William Barclay said this quote, there are two great days in every person's life. One, the day you're born. And two, the, the day you find out why. See, I believe this for every single person in this place, that there is a grander vision for your life on this planet Earth. And when you find it and when you pursue it, there will come a day where you wake up in the morning and you will say that I am born for this. And it starts with saying yes to being in the people business. So you may have gifts and talents, but they extend far beyond your nine to five. And most people I talk to, even the ones that love their job, they go, man, I'm pumped to go to work. Let's go. But everyone I talk to says, yeah, I love what I do for work, but it doesn't satisfy my soul. It doesn't leave me feeling fulfilled at night. So we are called to create a place in here where people are radically loved, 
where the rich take care of the poor, where the lonely are enfolded into this fellowship, where people realize their potential that is greater, much greater than anything in this material world. It starts with saying yes to being in the people business in two ways. One, in, inside this community. This community isn't complete without you. It's not complete without your investment into it. It's coming up to Pastor Sam and Pastor Caroline and say, hey, I want a grander vision for my life. I'm not satisfied with how it is. I want to be in the people business. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. Let's do this. You know, let's see it changed. It also says yes to being in the people business outside this community. In your nine to five, in your day to day. And that looks like investment into people. It's, uh, God, I don't know why I need to tell this receptionist that the doctors that they're doing a good job today, but I really feel strongly to, and you invest into that person's life. I don't know why I feel like I need to buy food for this person that's sitting on the side of the road, but God, I want to invest into people. I'm in the people business. Let me do that today. Do you have an inclination for a grander vision, grander than your job, grander than uh, your family, grander than your current life? Are you investing into the people business? Is that an area you need to work on today? The fifth disposition, we've got action, obedience, thankfulness, a grander vision. The last one is a disposition of sacrifice. Sacrifice is another fun word like obedience, isn't it? Um, it says this in the scripture. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything else and they followed him. See, sacrifice, I've left this one to last, and as the keys come, sacrifice is your key to growth. This is it. See, the worldly perspective says this. I want to get bigger, add more to my life. I want a bigger life. I want to add a bigger job, a bigger car, a bigger family, whatever it may be. But it's actually not a a true perspective because that will keep leaving you wanting. There's always something more you can add. But the Christian perspective and the Christian worldview is this, that to grow, you must let go. See, Moses couldn't let go of his pride and his fear. And it stopped him from crossing over into the promised land. Joshua was able to. What's stopping you from letting go? What do you need to let go of today that's going to release you into your season of next? Is it a fear that will cost you too much? Is it a pride that that role is beneath you? Is it a a poisonous relationship that's keeping you still, that's keeping you small-minded? What's God asking you to give up? Because Jesus comes up to Peter and says, Hey, will you leave it all and follow me? And he let go of so much, but he was given so much more, right? Romans 12, 1 says this, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to Christ. This is your acceptable service. And living sacrifice was a a random term said in the Bible. It sounds all right to us, but Old Testament, it was dead sacrifices. You know, you kill a sneaky goat, you burn it, offer it up to God, boom, it's done. That's a dead sacrifice. It's done. But now we're called to be living sacrifices, Sacrifice is that word in the Greek means killing, to be a living killing. It gets a little bit more confusing. How am I supposed to be a living killing? You know, Peter, and exactly what Peter modeled, like, all right, how do I leave it all? What's Peter's leaving my whole life and following Jesus? What's that look like for you and I? What's it look like to being a living killing like you and I today? And this is what it is. It's deliberately, consciously, Every moment, every hour, every day, right now, offering your life as an offering to God. It's constant. It's never over. It's a rhythm of our lives. But if you've stopped progressing, it's because you've stopped surrendering. What do you need to surrender again today? See, what Jesus says to Peter is this, and what he's asking is all of us today, that if you want to cross over, if you want to progress into your most fruitful life, your most satisfying life, You must put to death the idea 
that you have the right to live as you choose. How weird is it to say that in a free country, right? We need to put to death the idea that we have the right to live as you choose. So we don't offer up our lives that God can slay us like the sacrifice of the Old Testament. We offer up our lives that He can empower us, that He can use us, that He can take us into our next season, our most fruitful life, our most successful life. Is everything, every decision that you make surrender to God is what you do with your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, is it surrendered to God? Is what you do with your free time? How much time you spend in front of Netflix, is that surrendered to God? Is what you invest in the church surrendered to God? Is your relationships surrendered to God? Is your workplace surrendered to God? Are you a living killing? Are you walking around this earth still? See, we don't be a living killing so we can earn our salvation. No, the second you make a decision to follow Jesus, your life, your name is written in the book of life and nothing can shake that. You're there. We're going to be partying in eternity together, but we're still moving. We're still living. We're still doing. We're still growing. And our most fruitful life is found when we are living killings, when we sacrifice every intention, every plan into the will of God. So I firmly believe this for every one of us today, that God is asking more of you. And you might say like, how can I give any more? But God is asking more of you because He sees more in you, because He knows by empowering you, He will change this world through you. I'd love to pray for us all as we close our service today. God, I thank you for these five dispositions. I thank you that you've called us to grow, that you're not an absent God that just says, I'll put them on earth and let them figure it out. But you've given us keys. You've given us growth points. You've given us measurables that if we put them in place, Lord God, we can have the life, the dream, the aspiration that you've put in our heart. We can make that come to fruition, Lord. Lord God, I thank you for the dreams that are in every heart over this place, the ones that are going to change individual lives, Lord God, but the ones that are going to change nations and cities as well. We speak into them, we release them, Lord God. We say we are a people of action, a people of obedience, Lord. We're a people that give thanks because of that salvation that you've given us. We're a, a people with a grander vision beyond ourselves, Lord God, and we are a people of sacrifice. And just while every eye is closed, every head is bowed today, maybe as I was speaking, especially about that giving thanks, you're like, I want, I want that treasure. I want that valuable thing that nothing can be taken away, that there's things in my life that have shook me around and my value has been taken, my value has been stolen. But as I was speaking on stage, I realised that I want that unshakable joy. I want that unshakable thanks. I want the salvation of being in eternity with Jesus forever. Or maybe you've tried everything in your own strength. You've tried it your own way. You've been your own authority. And it just hasn't worked out. It's not working out. And you're like, God, today is the day that you need to be my ultimate authority again. Today is the day that you need to sit on the throne of my life again. And if you're honest with yourself, and if you ask yourself in this moment, do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I hear the Word of God? And if you're honest with yourself and you say, no, I don't have that intimate relationship. I don't hear the voice of God that I need to obey. I don't have that valuable treasure inside my heart that I would give up everything, that I would sell all that I have and buy that field where that treasure is buried. I don't have that treasure. I don't have that Jesus in my heart. If today's the day that God wants to put you on the pathway to your future, He wants to put you on the pathway to your potential, He wants to call you into firstly an intimate relationship with Him, but then to release you to impact this world in ways that you've never dreamed. If that's you today and you're like, today, this is the day I need to come back. I want that relationship with Jesus. I want that security. 
On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying with. And this is an obedient step. This is point two of the disposition. Are you obedient? If Holy Spirit's touching your heart now and saying, I want you to come in a relationship with me, this is your time today. On the count of three, I want you to put up your hand and we're going to pray the best prayer you will ever play in your life. Number one, God's not angry at you. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been. He loves you so immeasurably. Two, this is your moment. He's drawing you in. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to be in a relationship for all your days. He wants to release you into your potential. If that's you today, three, put up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else that wants to join these three before we pray? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that in this moment, eternities were changed. That eternal destinations were changed, Lord God, from one that didn't involve you to one that's solely around you, Lord God. We thank you for the hearts that have given their life to you. Breathe afresh on them right now. Holy Spirit, let them know that they're not alone for a second longer. Lord God, that their dreams are not dead, that there's more for them, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you show them right now that their value in you is amazing, Lord God, and that nothing can strip away this decision that they've just made. Nothing can rob them from your hand, Father, that they are now a citizen of heaven. They are now a follower of Christ. And Holy Spirit, start your work in their life to bring their lives over into the promised land, Lord God.